Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for the last offensive show of the year. We're going to talk about the outing against the Bengals in the wild card game and how that went. Obviously, not the result we wanted, but here to talk to me about is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing? I'm doing well, Ken. Um, like you said, not not the greatest way to finish off the season, but um, you know there there were some interesting things to talk about. I think you know we'll chat a little bit about how this game went, obviously, but some things to look forward to in the future as well. So it's nice to to wrap up the season with you. He, he is well. Thank you. We're glad you're here. He's at Gabe Fergie, and that is on Twitter. He does the Ravens Situation Room. Uh, great podcast. You really need to give that a try. It's right on the website at filmstudybaltimore.com. So it's easy to find. Uh, like we always say, encourage someone who doesn't isn't into podcasts to just play it directly off the website is what we're trying to do. Whether it's my podcast or theirs, uh, both great content. And uh, and there's typically will come out right after the game or, or very, very quickly, right? Yeah, yeah. We try to do um, finishing the game the, the day of or the, the next day. Um, I think, you know, this year we've had some issues with scheduling but you know we're going to probably wrap up the have like a season wrap pretty shortly here and you know we will try to get maybe some off-season content going as well to look at maybe some some specific players and see what their roles might be uh, moving forward with the team yeah it'll be a lot of fun obviously there'll be that there'll be draft stuff there'll be lots of things we'll be we'll be i'm sure working on together gabe and i'll look forward to that need to uh shout out our sponsor here uh liquid death the water that will brutally murder your thirst They've been very good to us. Please give their product a try. We appreciate it if you would, and it's a way you can support the show. Coming back to this loss here, a tough one for the Ravens. Uh, I'll tell you, going to the game, it, it felt a little bit like a funeral dirge in, in some ways. Uh, you know, First of all, very unusual for a Ravens playoff game. There are a number of empty seats on a direct Southwest flight from Baltimore to Cincinnati the day of the game. Now, there are some people who probably didn't know that the game was going to be played on Sunday night when they made their travel plans. They wouldn't have taken the chance on it being played Saturday or earlier Sunday and not being there in time for it. But on the other hand, there should be more people who would have, you know, as soon as it was known and the flights were available, we were able to, you know, come back the next morning at 5.40 a.m., which is a not very comfortable time to come home. <laughs> it doesn't leave you much time to sleep after the game. But but the, the flight was fairly empty, is my point. And, and, and that is surprising and a rare time where I've seen the Ravens fans um, really not show up for a playoff game in the kind of numbers that I would have expected. Yeah, I think, you know, the whole Lamar Jackson injury situation has definitely put kind of a a bit of a lull on the, on the way the season ended, you know, two seasons in a row, not having him out there um, and having the team kind of falter offensively in particular, um, really kind of, I think the the kind of motivation to really like have a full, full throated, you know, fan experience wasn't, wasn't quite there this year. Um, and I'm not sure if the expectations were really very high going into this game. Um, mm -hmm. I think there probably wasn't too much, to hope for even if they could come through with this game it's probably not looking like a, a team that was going to you know make a, a super bowl run so I, I think that's probably where some of that comes from and you know it's it's been a frustrating end of the season two seasons in a row now and i think it's it's just kind of like the same thing almost in repeat and i'm, I'm hoping that you know we'll, we'll obviously go into the off season now and, and have things go in a different direction, but it, it definitely some seem to be a lot of just frustration towards the end of this year. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, it is it's a lot of the same movie from 2021. Obviously, the the, the long losing streak in the year very taxing. And I, I I think this is something that the people who want to ride the roller coaster in terms of franchise building and say, oh, oh we got to make runs when we got a chance to make runs kind of thing. And I, I'm mocking the voice already there. You, so you can you, you know where I stand on it. Um, if you're not completely committed towards spending on the team in the form of season tickets or analyzing the team every week like we are, um, I, I think there's a different, you know, you're, you're 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 not really accounting for how other people feel about it. I don't feel it's necessary to go all out to to win championships uh, when the the window is open. I think you 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 can continuously compete every year. I think the Ravens have proven it over a long period of time. They've won two Super Bowls. Both times they won the Super Bowl, they were not they were long shots to win it when they went into the playoffs. Um, and other times when they were a better chance to win it, they didn't get it done, which would would tell you that just trying to match up your resources with the high points along the curve isn't really the way to go. Yeah, that's definitely the way I see it as well. And I think, you know, as we've seen the past two years, all it takes is, you know, an injury yep. or two injuries to the most critical players on your team. And then all of a sudden your season is derailed. And even this year, um, they were able to make it into the the playoffs with, with, with Lamar not playing for the last five games of the season, but you know, they weren't the same team. Um, they didn't have the same upside and it's all it takes is that one injury and then you're pretty much out of it. So when the whole season is such a fragile thing and it's so dependent on, on a lot of different factors and health being a primary factor in that, um, you know, they're willing to sacrifice future, you know, whether it's cap space or, or draft capital in order to, you know, go all in and hope that all the stars align for you is, is definitely a risky maneuver. Right. Yeah, we, we, we certainly see that. And I think that's come up enough times that we don't need to probably beat that dead horse. But uh, but there are people still, you know, keeping that dead horse on <laughs> resuscitative components here on the on the machine. Just pull the plug on it, darn it. Anyway, back to the game. Three hours of entertainment, you know, some tension in a in a hostile environment, very loud environment where where you know I was having trouble hearing the the, the fans next to me. So that's that's true, by the way, at at uh, the bank as well. You know, we you, you particularly where we sit, there seems to be at the foci or whatever you want to call it <laughs> of, of of all noise where you're you're getting it from around the rim and the the, the system is turned all the way up and you're too close to the system, but. Uh, but they have to also get the system all the way to the front row. And so they have to you know, get, yeah. get it more blurry. And it's just, a, it's a, uh, uh, it's, it can be a tough place to hear. Uh, it was though, a, you know, playoff atmosphere. That was nice. It was a tense football game all the way to the end. It was a, a game the Ravens certainly had a chance to take control of uh, early in the fourth, fourth quarter. It didn't happen as we know. Um, but I think, you know, by and large, a, a game to be fairly proud of how the team played. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know it, it's, it sounds a little bit like, like sour grapes afterwards, but I, I felt like the Ravens really in a lot of ways outplayed the Bengals in this game, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of like a lot of the stats you would look at. Um, I think defensively was where the strength in this game was for the Ravens. Um, they really held the Bengals offense to probably one of their worst games of the, of the year. Um, but, you know, they weren't efficient on offense. And I think that's the thing that we've seen 
consistently over the past several weeks. And it's, it's been probably the, the worst red zone offense in the NFL over the past, you know, six to seven weeks at the end of the season. And, and that continued in this one too. And that's, it's not a way to win football. Yeah. They, they had the best red zone defense by far coming in over a long period and much better than the, than the top team in the league had been. They were, I think it was seven for their last 28 going into this game. So it's now nine for 30. It's, that's still 30% over an extended period of time, which is remarkable because the best in the whole NFL was in the, I think the high thirties was new England for the, for the season. So uh, the Ravens doing a remarkable job there, but then as you mentioned, they went one for four in the red zone. They went three for 11 on third down while the Bengals went seven of 13. Uh, They didn't correct it entirely on fourth down, but they did go two of three there. And of course they turned the ball over more. So when you look at leverage of plays, You may see your coworkers cracking open a can in your 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but it's most likely not beer. It's a new mountain spring water called Liquid Death. You've heard me talk about this many times. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it'll brutally murder your thirst. Plus, its infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring a death to plastic bottles. Did you know plastic's not even really recyclable anymore? It ends up just going to a landfill because it's not profitable to recycle. Meanwhile, aluminum is recyclable and profitable for recycling facilities. You guys know how much I love Liquid Death. It's in everything I do. I take it to work. I take it to the ball club. I take it when I'm out with the kids. I got them here on my my desk because I'm recording a podcast. I'm always with it. What's cool now is I'm seeing you guys on Twitter talk about how you're grabbing your cans and going to work. So send me those stories about what you're doing and how you're cracking open a tall boy in odd situations because, hey, it's water. And not only is it water, it's the best water that you can go out there and buy. It's cold. You can drink it with whatever you're doing. So go on out there, get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool by going to liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Boy, did the Ravens lose it. And obviously, it was never more apparent than on the highest leverage play of them all a 14 point turnaround yeah i mean and it's it's something that we saw two years ago in buffalo almost a carbon copy of the same situation being on the the doorstep of of the goal um you know having a play seemingly right before that almost got there i don't know if you remember in the buffalo game but there was a wide open hollywood brown running for a touchdown but then the the ball couldn't get there because of a pressure in Lamar's face. And then the next play was the, was the interception that got returned. So, and this one, you know, you had Edwards look like he had a hole open up. He's almost making it to the end zone. I thought he was going to get in and then he got set up and, and then obviously the, the fumble six happened the very next play. So, um, you know, this game, they, they were tied. So it would have been taking the lead as opposed to the Buffalo game where they were going in for a tie at that point. Um, but it's just, complete catastrophe 14 point swing um both times and it just it really is is a defeating play from both you know obviously the scoreboard but also from just the team's you know complete momentum being taken out from under them and just having to to go back and and try to now scrape out of out of a situation where you had thought you were going to be on the other side of it it has to be completely deflating yeah, de- defeating and deflating. Those are the two good words. Um, you know, it, it's obviously the offense that bears the blame for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory in this particular game. 
Um, we got the best of Huntley in some ways. We got the worst of him in others. I really do think in some ways it was the best Huntley's played every year uh, over the year. We're going to get back to this in a little bit. We'll talk about Tyler Huntley separately because he's kind of a um, unique case in point. And, uh, you know, obviously the Ravens are going to have to decide some things about his future coming up. And I, I think they're going to, they will have some tough decisions to make that may not get made till the end of camp 23. Uh, in terms of of, of how they want to uh, roll going forward. But it, it's kind of funny to think back to the notion that uh, there were people talking about trading Huntley for a two as if that trade were available <laughs> at the beginning of this season. Yeah, it's. I think I, I had probably a little bit higher um, grading of him after last year um, and, and the way I thought he played at the end of the 2021 season, uh, I, th- I thought he was, you know, efficient enough as a passer and, you know, he did enough with his legs, uh, especially more as a scrambler um, that he was able to kind of just keep the offense going. Um, I felt like this season, he was a little bit more, um, I think of a, as a passer, a little bit more re- resistant to making the kind of plays that he, we saw him make at times last year. Um, played conservative kind of one read and then he he kind of went away from from the pass and we saw that in this game a lot there were some more aggressive throws downfield but it wasn't consistent um and definitely some of the backbreaking plays that you know the two turnovers were the difference in the game so um that's that's the clear downside of having someone who's who's not really of the starting caliber um have to being have to play center, under center for you in, in one of the biggest games of your season, the biggest game of your season. Yeah. Yeah. So I completely agree. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll get into some Huntley things later. Let's, let's move on a little bit. We talked a little bit about the red zone failures already going one for four in the red zone um, in this game, another absolute nightmare for the Ravens offense. And, you know, the one thing that really bothers me about it was the way the clock was managed and really at the end of each half, not even just in the second half. It was it was I think it re- the ball really got dropped when they huddled up again with, I think, about a minute to go. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and you know, I both understand what they're exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to score and leave no time for any sort of a response. That's fine. I, I, I like that. But the, but you have to do it with some more opportunity to not choke and strangle your own offense in the process. And I think they ended up, you know, getting to the line, making some bad um, calls or bad, you know, not, not being properly prepared uh, when they were because of that. I'm not saying the Zeitler hold was that, but the Zeitler hold then took them into negative margin of error territory. They, they, they had, Almost no margin for, of error the way where they were leaving themselves with like 30 seconds to go. And then all of a sudden they have the, the, the Zeitler hold. They get moved back into a first and 20 situation. And now it's like uh, they don't have enough time to score. And that. Yeah, I, I think I think if you have a first and goal and you have a minute left on the clock, it's OK to take your time a little bit. But they, but the way that this offense has been moving, they hadn't been moving with chunks of yards at a time. You know, they've been kind of methodically getting three yards here, six yards there. I mean, they, they did just pick up 11 yards on the on the kind of the checkdowns at J.K. Dobbins uh, to get that first down, put them in in the red zone. But this isn't a, a quick strike offense by any stretch. Mm-hmm. You, you need every single play that's available to you. And I thought that you know huddling up there that that moment in the game was 
indefensible at, at that point. It was, it was it's absurd to take off almost you know twenty five, I think thirty seconds from the, yeah. the clock at that point. And then, like you said, with the penalty um, that followed, you know, the, the following play that really put you in a hole that was basically impossible to get out of at that point. Right, I, and and that that really was it. And I just want to see the first and ten play. It was this. It was actually on second and ten that they ran for four yards, which, by the way, at 29 seconds, I'm not completely against with having two timeouts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really not. I think they, they if, if particularly if you're going to surprise the other team, you might get a breakaway. You might get in the end zone on such a play. Now, admittedly, the field is compressed, so it's it's less likely. But you, you've got some surprise elements. You know, it's it's almost like a screen pass or something you're trying to run to to get some of that yardage, but not all of it kind of not ideal for the situation but at least it's something i'm not completely against it but one of the real downfalls or one of the real risks of having a run play particularly one that goes to the outside isn't between the tackles is a holding call it's it's one of the big risks of run plays to the outside in the nfl so your 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 guys <laughs> arms start going up in the air and flailing as soon as they get out you really hope at the end of a game like that they're not going to call a pretty marginal foul like that um but they did yeah, I, I thought it was a very ticky tack foul at the at that point in the game at a very critical spot. Um, you know, they to some some extent been letting them play in, in this one. Um, there have been some fouls that probably should have been called on both sides that weren't, um, or and some that were that maybe shouldn't have, like this one. But it, it and I I didn't really mind the the play call like you said. I think in like a second and long situation where you have your pass catching back on the field. Um, and you and you are in a situation where most teams would probably pass the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was kind of a nice, interesting play call, but I don't know if it was intended to actually bounce outside. I think that might have just been the way that you know Hill took the carry because maybe the blocking was not where it should have been internally or inside. So um, that kind of forced him to bounce it outside. And then, like you said, when he bounces it, then some of the directionality of how the defenders are being blocked suddenly changes and. It's very easy to have a hold show up there, so that's always a tricky spot to be in as an offensive lineman um, when the when the running back kind of changes the direction from where he was intended to go. So um, I don't I don't really blame Zeitler too much for that play. I think it's something that you know most offensive linemen would could potentially get called for in that situation very easily. It, it would have been an interesting time to try for a, you know, kind of a fake mesh play. Don't actually even think about pulling the ball, but really show the fake, play the fake out with Huntley in from the mesh and have him go dash to the side. Because I think most of the eyes are on Huntley at that point in the game with Hill in as a runner that, that, you know, they're going to be more concerned about Huntley. If he just had a big 35 yard run or whatever earlier in the, uh, the quarter, I think. Yeah. That set up the, the, um, fourth and one or the the failure at the goal line mm-hmm. um that would have been a great time to to have that but uh you know by and large i would say it was a very well called offensive game this is not the uh, roman will not be here next year i think yeah. we, we both agree on that but but this was not the game why he should have lost his job i thought he actually called a very good game this time in terms of keeping the ravens in it yeah i i would agree with that um i think you know there were some there's some well-designed screens um you know, one that I thought was actually well designed was the Andrew screen, and it just mm-hmm. wasn't blocked well. Um, you know, we had two two defenders completely, you know, defeat their blocks in, yeah. in, in out in front. I think it was Stanley and, and Powers who both missed completely. 
Um, and that really, you know, kind of set the Ravens back there. Um, that was the first and 10 play from like the four yard line or something. And they had great opportunity there. Um, but, you know, and, and another missed opportunity, I think the the play action to Ricard, um, where he was really wide open in the flat. And I think that was a very well-designed play. That's the kind of play that I like to see in, in the red zone where you have the tendency to obviously run the ball. And, and he was really wide open to catch that. And we've seen Ricard score on plays like that before. Um, I, I don't think that was a bad play call by any stretch. It just, I think the defender did just manage to tip the ball. Um, you know, it's unfortunate, maybe a slightly higher trajectory on the pass would have been a touchdown. And, you know, those are the kind of things, the game of inches um, in, in many aspects. And this game, I think with the Dobbins touchdown, it's, it's inches on one end and then you have inches on the, you know, the Huntley reach over the, yeah. the offensive line, like so many different places where just a tiny little adjustment could have gone one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, even Huntley running down and this, I, people always like wonder why is he upset kind of thing when I'm, when I'm at the game, but I get really upset when the last tackle is made that would, will, you know, otherwise it would have been a touchdown Yeah, and knocking Huntley out of bounds at the two yard line ended up being just huge, yep. you know, in terms of, of, uh, of the game situation, obviously. And, and if, if that goes in, well, we got a different game on our hands and the, the Bengals had shown no ability to move the ball or even to stay on the field uh, for, for a long period of time in there. And Burrow would have to suddenly, you know, regenerate some offense to, uh, uh, to, to get the team going again. They did score at the beginning of the second half to get it uh, to go up by seven, but they hadn't, uh, they hadn't done anything since then uh, until the, they scored on the fumble. So, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a, you know, it was an unfortunate set of circumstances, obviously. Um, execution on some plays just terrible. The double block, the double whiff block. Stanley very upset on that yeah, play. You could see his reaction afterwards. Yes. I think he like yeah. sla- slam slam the ground. Like he he knew mm-hmm. that, and it wasn't just him. It was Powers too. So yep. even if Stanley had had made his block, there there's a defender that was still going to be there probably. Um, so it was that was a really un- unfortunate situation. And then I I mean I think the Huntley reach over was just an also failed execution. They, they had, yes. you know, they said after the game, you know, they had the alignment to do the kind of the push play and Huntley decided that he thought he was, you know, able to reach over and just uh, a, a bad decision in that, in that situation. And he, he thought he had the opportunity, but he wasn't as close as he thought he was. And, you know, that's, that's the way it works. So if we're really talking about coaching to complain about the only thing i really have is that is really the time management at the end of each yeah. half of of not not getting the plays in quickly enough or or it's not that it's huddling up it's not having two plays in the huddle not knowing what you're going to do next you know kind of thing you know it's it's uh, uh you know not not really having a, a a two play plan there uh ready to go and and it, you know other veteran quarterbacks and obviously huntley is not this are able to do that and go to the line of scrimmage and, and think of, okay, assuming this is incomplete, I'm going to have this to go back to assuming this is a, a you know, a complete pass. And it does complicate things to have a run, but it also made it easier in a sense that, you know, your next play is going to be after a timeout. So you're going to have time to talk about it. And that might've been obviously uh, it was before then it was before the, 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 the holding call was at 29 seconds on, your go-to place for wildcard round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet 
each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsback app and use the code FILM. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with the code FILM. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER, 21+. Physically present in Maryland, bonus bonus issued as free bets. One free bet issued based on amount of initial losing NFL bet up to $10. Eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash MD for full terms and First, conditions. On second and mm. 10, which made it second and 20. Okay. So the the it was that rundown between a minute and about 30 seconds that yep. was the the time that you and I both don't like. And yeah, the Ravens might have scored too early. And they might have might have leaving left Joe Burrow 45 seconds on the clock, and that might have been exactly what he needed. And the Bengals might have even allowed it to happen. You know, all those things are possibilities. But I think you 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 gotta play it out a little faster than that and uh and try and get it done. They were they they had a specific mission in mind. It obviously as it worked as it as it played out, it did not work out. Yeah. I think, you know, the Bengals were not in a situation to let the Ravens score. You know, they were up seven at that point. So like they, they were not incentivized to like allow the Ravens to kind of score quick, yeah. quickly to get the, get the ball back. They were going to you know try to stop them at all, all costs. So it, I don't know. It, I, I think there was some, maybe some confusion with the players even like why are we huddling up here and it seemed like the first play that they got was it just seemed discombobulated and rushed and like like are we supposed to take a timeout here like why are we huddling it just seemed like there was everything involved with that situation just was like confused um and i think that that is just an error on coaching i don't know if that's you know you want to blame harbaugh for that i think roman is definitely and the blaming seat for that one as well. I mean, your job as Dolphins coordinator is to get that play in to, to your team and give them, you know, the whole thing that they should be doing. It, it, and the, he's the one who's ultimately making the decision whether you would huddle there, I would think. Like, he's, yeah. So I, I, I don't know what the thought process that there was, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe that was Harbaugh saying, you know, we want to take it slow. But to me, whether it's horrible or Roman, that is just a terrible execution in that instance. And you mentioned in the first half as well, you know, they had, what was it? First and goal. They had one timeout and they didn't run the ball at all. They, they passed the ball on all three downs. You have a timeout. You could have run one time, but they decided not to use that opportunity yeah. to run the ball. Let's go back to that for a second. Cause the first, the first play we both like, that's the, yes. that's the screen pass to Andrews that went for yeah. minus one. Then they called their third timeout with 16 seconds. And so that's you true. couldn't, yeah. you couldn't do anything at that point, but pass the ball, pass, pass kick. That's all you could do. And they, of course they threw two more incomplete passes, high, very high leverage incompletes. Um, but you know, when, anytime you're in that position and the other team knows you can't afford an incomplete pass, you're at a big disadvantage. It, you know, it's a small field. They, they drop people, they pin their ears back. They're probably not really watching Huntley too closely because, Hey, if Huntley runs and he gets tackled half over, no points. And I, I, I'll get back to the end of the game here for, for just another second is it would have really been an interesting decision, but I think the Bengals know that Harbaugh very well might have gone for two points in that situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm not sure it was the right play, but but it's but it would be a risk from the Bengals' standpoint. And if I'm the Bengals, there's there's two things I can do. 
if is one, if I get the ball back with 45 seconds left, I'm playing three down football until I get to a certain point on the field, at least. Um, and so it's not, you don't have the same advantages of playing four down football that you have if you're trailing. Yeah. Advantage and disadvantage on the scoreboard. You know, I, you, you know, the, the, the two things that go together there, obviously, but the Bengals had, you know, 45 seconds would have been plenty of time for Burrow to move them into field goal range, uh, particularly with the extra down. If, if at any point he needed it during that time. Yeah, you know, that's true. And I think for that reason, if I'm horrible, I probably would have just kicked the extra point if they score a touchdown there. Mm-hmm. Um, one, because your defense is playing well. Um, yeah. And I feel like they had actually been doing a better job defensively than the Bengals had. And the, and the Bengals had been doing a pretty good job too. But you know, the, even in, in that the Ravens had failed a couple of drives prior to that last one, um, after the turnover, they didn't really move the ball very well at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, you know, they, they had shown that they could move the ball a little bit. Um, and the, and the Bengals really had, since that first touchdown drive, they'd really struggled in the entire second half. I think I, I haven't gone back and completely looked at all the, maybe adjustments that were made. Um, and I think to a certain extent, the Bengals at that point had tried to maybe run the ball a little bit more too, to kind of chew clock. Um, and in the end of the fourth quarter, it looked to me like they weren't passing as much. Um, but I think, I do think that, you know, at that point in the game, the Ravens defense was really, um, playing very well. So, okay. So was, the la- just, just, just to address that point for a second, the last four drives of the game. So this is after they scored the touchdown on the long drive to begin the third quarter, their, their first drive of the third quarter, they had a three and out, um, pass run pass their next drive in quarter four they had run pass pass to get the fourth down then they got the rough and the kicker penalty came back with run pass sack Mm, so they're they're still pretty much passing the ball on all available downs and then and then they did and this was the interesting one they did they had an offensive holding on the first play which i think was on a run play and then pass pass and run on third and ten so they basically said we're, oh no! I take that wasn't a run. That was undesired run. It was a pass play where where Oa chased down Burrow. So it was really another pass. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they, they, I I thought the Bengals really left it in the hands of Joe Burrow. Both of these games. I mean, the first the first game they, they threw over forty times, took six quarterback hits, and you know that week eighteen game that was so far over it wasn't even close. It was a little bit close, but it wasn't you know yeah. looking like the Ravens had any chance to come back with with uh, Anthony Brown. And then the and then the uh, th- this game um, they really did put it in the hands of Burrow. He just he just didn't really get it done for them uh, after that first drive of of quarter three. And I, I agree with you. I think the the move that Harbaugh probably would have done is to just go for one there, play for overtime, try and win the game with the defense playing well, and see if Tyler Huntley you, know, you can get one more spark out of him. Yeah, and there was a mixed bag with Huntley. You know, we've already talked about that a little bit. He had some very nice plays in this game. Some kind of, um, obviously the, the bad snap play comes mm-hmm. to mind immediately. And he did make some nice throws as well. You know, a long touchdown to Robinson, um, a couple of nice throws from Mark Andrews. So it's not like he had a bad game overall, but the, the bad moments were very, very bad. They were, they were just awful. Let's talk about Huntley next. We can come back to some other things I want to talk about in terms of offensive scheme in a, in a moment here, but um, I, I'm going to start off with some ample time and space numbers. Cause I think the offensive line was overall pretty good in this game. Not, not terrible. Certainly tough environment to play in. Um, you know, the, nobody came out of this game without some warts as it turned out. Uh, and some, and frankly on the offensive line, some high leverage losses on plays. 
that that, that were uh, were just ended up not being good. But we'll we'll talk through a little bit of that. Um, uh, with in the case of Huntley, though, I want to talk about the amount of time, how often he had ample time and space in this game, and and uh, and how often he had the ball out quick. The story on the on the Bengals side was Joe Burrow had the ball out quick, some huge percentage of the time, yeah. which didn't leave a lot of time for either pressures or ample time and space. And the Ravens did a pretty good job in pressuring him in, in those other plays. Go back to Huntley, though, threw the ball a total of 31 times in this game. That's 29 times he threw and two times two times he took a sack. Uh, ample time space nine times. Uh, so that was just under 30%, 29%. Six out of nine complete, 105 net yards. And this is a good one, 11.7 yards per play. Now, you should light the other team up with ample time and space. It's a three-second pocket. You're able to step into your throw. Generally speaking, you're going you're gonna to be very effective doing that. We just have not seen that from Ravens quarterbacks very often. And and uh, they often have these inverted games where they get a lot of time. They still can't do anything with it. The Bengals are a team that in the past, particularly against Joe Flacco, used to like to rush floor four on most plays, drop into coverage, and just force Joe Flacco to, to, to beat zone coverage or, or, or to beat extra defenders if it wasn't zone coverage. And they had a lot of trouble. But this is a game where Huntley actually did a very good job playing against zone. Yeah, I think the the Bengals definitely I think committed more defenders to the line of scrimmage mm-hmm. um, in this game. That you know they really wanted to take away the Ravens' run game, and I think to a certain extent did that at at, at times. Um, but that did leave them a little bit vulnerable. Um, I mean, we saw Mark Andrews wide open a couple of times. We saw obviously Marcus Robinson wide open on on the on the touchdown play. Um, there's a few other opportunities that the Ravens had um, against the Bengals, um, and mostly because they. D- they didn't have very many, a very you know, packed defensive zone on some of those plays where where the Ravens didn't have as you know as, as much receivers or obvious receiving kind of situations. I think it got trickier down when they got in the red zone, um, and, and the Ravens kind of were like in some of those plays we talked about earlier when they were kind of forced to pass. You know, the Bengals were able to flood those those zones um, with more defenders and make it really difficult for the Ravens to even you know pick up you know, a couple yards in order to score a touchdown. But, you know, that's always a challenge when you get that close to the end zone. Um, but I would say overall that that def- when Huntley had those opportunities, when he wasn't pressured, you know, being able to get high um, yard, you know, completions, um, being able to do that in a small percentage of his plays. But I think that does speak well to his ability. And that's something that, he hasn't always been able to do. So he did step up in this game and in those moments. Yeah. I, I, and I, that was one of the really nice things to do. And we, we were talked on the Bengals side a little bit about how's how Burrow has been effective when they got the ball out quick, ball out quick kind of truncates some of the sacks out of there, but it also truncates out your ATS plays. So you're not, you're, you're generally throwing shorter passes, hoping for yak on those plays. He, he had 10 such plays for 29 yards in this game. So it wasn't a good set of plays for the Ravens uh, to get 2.9 yards per play on those. That's 32% of their passes that went into that. So it offset a lot of the good that was done on the, uh, on the ATS throws. And then 39% of the time he was pressured. Um, amazingly, those went for 6.3 yards per play. And some of the big plays were in there, 14, a 19, a 27, and a 25 in succession were against uh, were, were on plays uh, where they had pressure, but then this is where it really got bad. And we saw a lot of this on the final drive. So it's the last six times where he's pressured were sack minus eight, incomplete, incomplete, sack minus nine, incomplete, incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. The, the sacks were really backbreaking on, on the last couple of drives. Um, and I, th- I think 
that was, you know, a couple of different areas in the offensive line that, that broke down. So, I mean, we'll talk about a little bit about that later as well. Um, and like you said, overall offensive line play was pretty good, but potentially um, had some really critical errors in, in high leverage plays. Um, and, and that really affected, you know, the outcome of the game, I think. Um, and, and Huntley isn't Lamar Jackson when it comes to pressure. He doesn't, he was able to, you know, escape a few times. Um, and, you know, obviously there was a, we talked about the snap earlier, but, you know, keeping his eyes downfield and, and finding Josh Oliver for a big play, you know, in a, in a situation yeah. where it could have gone disastrously wrong. And we've seen that type of play go to that disastrously wrong before with the Ravens, even this season. Um, so in order to convert that type of play into a very positive play was very good to see. So in some plays, he definitely had, you know, some nice playing coolly in a tough situation. Um, it's just the, the sacks were, were really a challenge in this one, especially at the end of the game. And that was, that's pretty much has been the story of, of, whether it's been Huntley or Brown, you know, getting behind schedule and down a distance kills the Ravens uh, with their their current offensive makeup. They just don't have the, the the playmakers that they can threaten to get half of it back at once. And if they do, you know, it's usually by a run. Uh, Dobbins had, uh, you know, some good yak plays in this game. Uh, they had they had several good yak plays, but they had also a lot of open opening between level two and three where they got to people and they had the one big opening over level three uh, that went to the touchdown for for Robinson. So some good open, some good manufacturing of wide open targets. I think, you you know, if you're going to blame Roman the entire year for for what's gone wrong in terms of having to every time you can take a picture of the screen and there's two guys together in a, in a pattern that can be a crossing pattern, but you but you take a picture of it and say, oh, what are they doing at this point in the season to have two guys at the same spot on the field? Um, you, then you got to give him also the credit for when he schemes somebody open. Probably Demarcus Robinson deserves credit as well for the wiggle at the top of his route necessary to to get that free, but it's schemed up to give him that opportunity. The offensive line provided ample time and space and, and Huntley made the throw without, uh, you know, it's, it's always a possibility you overthrow it, but he really, he underthrew that mm-hmm. ball because he was so wide open and he, by doing so, he made the best possible use of how open Demarcus Robinson was that, that yeah. it left no chance for that ball to be incomplete. Yeah, absolutely. He, he put it there with, you know, really you know the perfect amount of t- opportunity the time it, was, it was, had good like kind of hang time it wasn't like mm-hmm. a line drive um he didn't put it too far behind him that he had to like wait for it and get tackled so yeah like you said it's exactly how it should have been done um great route by robinson obviously we saw that type of route i think in his first game as a raven yep. in the preseason it was the exact same type of situation um and he, he just you know dusted the cornerback and um, it was it was probably one of the most wide open players the Ravens have had downfield all season. Um, so, you know, that was really nice to see. And it's something that we really haven't seen much of any of since Tyler Huntley has been quarterback for the Ravens. And that's part of the reason why Eli Apple is probably, you know, squatting on on the sl- slant route or the underneath route because he didn't think that the Ravens were going to throw deep because when was the last time he saw the Ravens throw deep? Is <laughs> I mean, they threw deep a couple of times against to Sammy Watkins last week in a in a game that, didn't really matter much, but that wasn't Huntley, you know, throwing the, the ball either. So um, I think that that's definitely a great call by, by Roman, you know, give him credit for that. Like you said, um, and, and really well executed by both the quarterback and the wide receiver. Uh, let's talk about the, about the pass rush itself in terms of numbers, because the Bengals uh, actually were very blitz heavy in this game. And, and it's not really surprising. Obviously they've been 
exposed this year and last year, well, actually last year more, Brown, they've been exposed to Brown's lack of pocket awareness, but that's not the same thing. Huntley's po- lack of pocket awareness last year was very evident in, in, in the last few games. In fact, they were really having to redesign the offense around shorter routes, not making use of Marquise Brown's speed at all, really turned him into this five-yard target guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, not, not what you want anyway, but in, in this game, they of the 31 passes, 16 times they rushed five or six men. 12 times five, four times six, only 12 times four and three times three. So very much the opposite of what we have seen with, with what they did with Flacco in the past years in, in terms of really trying to force a guy to make unforced errors or, or create unforced errors against a, uh, you know, a defense that's got eyes in the backfield. Um, and they were able to, when they, when they rushed five, that's when they got both of their sacks. When they rushed four, they gave up some big plays, 27, 13, 41, 29. There are also a bunch of incomplete passes in there, but uh, but they gave up four really big plays uh, when they only rushed four. So it wasn't wasn't a perfect set of they were always doing a favor to the Ravens by doing that, but they definitely tended to blitz. That's uh, At over 50% blitz rate is very heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like Wink Martindale territory there. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, I, Honestly, I feel like I'm surprised that teams don't blitz the Ravens more or haven't been blitzing the Ravens more with, with a quarter, with the kind of backup quarterback who's is not really willing or able to kind of take the chances downfield. Um, I mean, you always have the opportunity that you might get, get beat by it. Um, but he hasn't really played well under pressure in my opinion. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, that's something that the Bengals clearly saw and they wanted to take advantage of. And I think it worked for the most part in, the, in their favor in this game. I think, you know, Huntley didn't play terribly under pressure like we talked about, but he definitely made some mistakes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What do I want to talk also about, about uh, Huntley? There's two things. The, the, his accuracy certainly was okay. Um, I, I do think he had some wide open uh, targets in, in this game. Like, I think, again, we need to credit the scheme and some good elusive play after the catch from some of his receivers. So we, you know, we saw Oliver, you know, busting bodies downfield on the, what was about a 19 yard play or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. was the Ravens longest play at that time. And then Jakey Dobbins with a really nice escape back down that right sideline. What, what else did you see? Yeah. I mean, even there was, I think there was a a screenplay to justice Hill that got them down very close to the, the goal, um, which was, I think, you know, it was well designed and, and, it was a good throw by Huntley. Um, but, you know, Hill also kind of made three defenders miss in order to, to do that. So he he definitely was able to take advantage of some of his yard after catch ability in that one. Um, so I, I think, you know, the, the receivers in general played well in this game, in my opinion. They, they did it a lot. Um, I think, you know, there's a couple of plays that I think Huntley probably would want to have back. The interception obviously being one, um, telegraphing the, the throw there. Um, I think there was also a, a play i think it was at the end of the first half where it was kind of a you know one of the several times where they rolled huntley out of the pocket to the right and i think it was demarcus robinson in the corner of the end zone and, and i think huntley just didn't time it right if he had released the ball maybe yes, a step or two ahead of time you know there was a chance to get the score there but he waited too long and by that time there was there's was no room to fit the ball in so um he he kind of looked like he was upset at Robinson for, for not trying to keep his feet in, in bounds there, but it was really a, a late play on that one. He, he needed to get rid of that ball about, you know, half a second earlier. Right. 
Yeah, and that's that's usually the case when it, when the receiver you know starts to get out of bounds. There were there were a few near interceptions by Huntley that he's really fortunate it worked out and to, to him only having one pick on the game in my opinion. One of them late. Uh, Logan Wilson, I believe, was was the player mm-hmm. behind the play who went down for the ball, but the receiver had no idea where it was. Uh, you know, another thing I'm sure we will come back back this at a later time, but uh, Isaiah likely totally left out, did not have a single yeah. target in this game. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and it seems like whenever he's the tight end, the like tight end one, he's very involved and very active, and it's highly targeted, and um, is important part of the offense. But when he's kind of the secondary player in that role, he seems to completely disappear. And I'm not blaming likely for that. I'm, I'm I don't think there's a scheme necessarily in order to really integrate two tight ends for some reason that they don't seem to be of significant part of, of the target tree. And, you know, that might partially be, you know, on Huntley for being kind of like a, a first read quarterback and then looking to, you know, do something else. But um, it seems like a missed opportunity this year to not get likely more involved because we've seen when he is someone who's a focal point that he can really be a playmaker um, in this offense. But it seems like the offense is built for that tight end one, whether it's Andrews or likely they're going to get a lot of targets and they're going to get a, a lot of production. But the second tight end, for whatever reason, seems to be falling away in that situation. Yeah, that, and that's really a shame. I mean, if 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 likely can be a you know, a, a more of a snap spreading player. And right now it's, it's Andrew's number one in snaps, Oliver, number two in snaps. Mm-hmm. And this game was another one like that. Although we'll get to this, they, they played an absurdly heavy scheme again, yeah. but likely got 26 snaps. And that's enough since, you know, he's playing primarily on passing downs. That's enough for him to get some targets. And it just, it didn't occur in this game. So I, I, I some of it might have been how he was schemed as a decoy or, you know, a primary read or whatnot. And some of it may have been just Huntley not not being in tune with him or or uh, able to find him. Yeah, I, I hope that's not I mean, you know, we we already talked about Roman a little bit and probably seeing that he's in his he's, his contract is up. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I doubt he'll be extended. I think the Ravens are going to go in a different direction. I mean, extremely extremely surprised if, if roman was brought mm-hmm. back um but you know i think there really is a significant potential for this team to be a kind of a two tight end heavy team moving forward with with likely with andrews with kolar coming into the right. mix as well you know they have three very promising tight ends um and i think whoever they are looking at to be the offensive coordinator needs to be someone who's willing to utilize them and utilize them more so than just as, you know, unblockers, but people who are going to be actively involved in the passing game as well. That's a great point. And we need to talk about that. We need to get back to that in a little bit about kind of what's the process for finding the new offensive coordinator as we both think is going to happen. You know, what's the process of doing that? I want to come back to that. So let's stick a pin. One of the last thing I want to say about Huntley is that, um, the thing that continues showed up in his play for me is an inability to grasp the football firmly. And I'm not talking about like the ball gets punched loose as he dives over the goal line. That's terrible. That's a, that's a, that's a very horrible manifestation of it, but it was happening all game. He, he had a sack minus nine where he's, he's getting closed in on by two Bengals players as he rolls right out of the pocket. And the problem, the reason he didn't get rid of that football is he was bobbling it. He couldn't he couldn't secure it to throw it away. And then he has to take an S minus nine. He might or might not have actually gotten rid of that ball, but there was no chance once he started bobbling it. 
the high snap, the one that got over his head that he turned into a decent play. An outstanding effort makes that a a, a caught snap or one he can tip to himself and, and get off a normal pass on. That didn't happen to hurt them in this game, but that's not what you can go by because most of the time that's going to end up in a terrifically bad play. And a lot of the time it's going to end up in an incomplete pass and about 4% of the time it's going to end up something positive happening. And I think we, you know, rolled that one in 25 chance on this particular play. Yeah. I, I mean, when I rewatched that play, I didn't think the snap was awful. It, it was high, but it was not like over his head. He couldn't get his hands on it high because it went off his hands. Yeah, it did. Um, and then, you know, it took maybe a bounce or two before he was able to pick it up and make a play with it. Um, and, you know, besides like the ball handling as well, I thought there were a couple of times where he didn't have his footing. Um, and there was maybe one or two runs where he could have picked up considerable yardage and he didn't because he stumbled. Well, the, the, you're, the, the one play that definitely fits into this category is the other kind of quote unquote bad snap from Linderbaum. It wasn't really a bad snap. The, the snap was more or less on target. It was you know about mid-body, I believe, and he bobbled it. Okay, well, that's bad, but it doesn't necessarily kill the play. But in this case, Edwards was coming through for a mesh point play, and and he was he was too late getting the ball down. Couldn't get control of it in time mm-hmm. to make that handoff, which it looked like he was trying to do. Then it becomes a busted play, and he yeah. goes to break outside. And it looked like Edwards was maybe going to pick up a block and the left side was blocked well. There was a good receiver block in level two. I think there was another block nearer the line of scrimmage, or there was no one there. One of those two things. And he slipped. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and so bobbling the football ends up costing him, you know, a 20 plus yard play down that left yeah. sideline, or maybe a good run from from Edwards, either way. because uh, Edwards certainly could have taken advantage of what was going on there on the on the left side as as you know, in the same way that Huntley could have. But and, and then of course you have the fumble to go line and just just so, the, the man is cursed. I mean, it's, it's it's some of it is is okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a story. This will be a little departure on this, but this is like kind of how I feel about Tyler Huntley at quarterback. So in college, we had some friends of one of my roommates come up and join us for the weekend. Uh, it's like four guys, high school friends of his. One of them was like training to be going to the police academy. He was just gonna start in like five weeks. And these guys came up with a couple cases of beer and they were drinking on the way in the car and whatnot. And they, and, and they got here, they got to Syracuse and stayed overnight with us. And then I think the next day, or maybe it was, you know, two days later, they, they went home and they were still drinking at that point. And they, they, they still went home with, a, you know, like 12 beers, which by the time when you're, when you're in college, it is a significant asset, as you know. <laughs> and, and, and anyway, what happened was the guy who's also just about to go to, the police academy and start that in a few weeks drives over one of those medians that's in the road to divide a highway. Oh, wow. And, and he broke off. All, he did, did broke off. He, he um, uh, had all four tires go bad on that. Thing. It might've been, <laughs> might, it might've been three tires on a rim or whatever, but, but you know, none of them, all of it had to be repaired or, and, and tires replaced and whatnot. And the thing, the only thing he could say is, I have the worst luck. I just have the worst luck. And it's like, no, <laughs> you drunk a lot and you drove over a fucking median. <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> so this is, this is one of these cases where some of this was luck. Some of this was unfortunate to Huntley, but bobbling the ball on the sack, you know, not catching a ball cleanly that was a catchable snap and then not being able to get the handoff on. And, you know, then, you know, the real idiot play obviously is going against what the play is designed to do. The, the, you know, the low in rugby push, you know, 
go for the go for the scrum and win that way. Instead, you go high and try to go over it. Then it makes it that much worse. And this is kind of where it, it, it fits the same story about I have the worst luck is to try to reach over and then claiming like he had a touchdown the whole time. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody on his team knew he didn't. No, there, nobody else on the team is 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 got their arms up. Not that I yeah. saw anyway. So just horrible. Yeah, and and you know, two two things about that play real quick. First of all, kudos to Mark Andrews for sticking with that play and running back. You know, I saw afterwards that he got clocked at almost twenty one miles per hour, blocked in the back. By the way, that was a clear yes. penalty that should have been called. I don't know, maybe a ref wasn't close enough to actually call it because they had gone down the field so quickly, but that should have been called a penalty. Um, on the other hand. So I saw, you know, people saying, you know, this, why are you sneaking the ball? Like it wasn't even like, it was from like the one and a half yard line. It wasn't on the one and a half yard line. I went back and watched it. The news of the ball was on the one yard line. Like a quarterback sneak in that position is a legitimate play to have. I think the, the Bengals scored on a quarterback sneak from the one earlier in the game. Like that's, that's not a bad play from that position. You know, Harbaugh said, even if they hadn't gone for it or gotten it, they were going to go for on fourth down, which Agree or not, you know, the the sneak is at very, the very least going to get you to like the six inch line, most likely, if you do the play the way it's supposed to be. I thought it was a good play in that position. I know a lot of people disagree, but that's my take on it. Yeah, now, I I didn't I didn't have a problem with it at all. I mean, they certainly telegraphed it with the way they lined up. Yeah, exactly what they're doing. I'm not real crazy about that component of it. But if you telegraph it, you definitely can't go away from the normal things. Those inside linebackers, that's their only job on that play yep. is to try and go up, find the football and knock it free. I mean, they don't have they really don't have anything they can add to the to the rugby serum component. They, they have to dive over, uh, you know, in the way we used to see running back score in the 1970s. So I just well, you didn't, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the O-line had a good push there. They were moving forward like it wasn't yeah. like it was completely stymied. And with two guys behind you, they're there literally just to push you and kind of push it across. So we've seen that play happen over and over again this season. And it's worked. It's a very high percentage play. Even if you don't convert it, you're very close. You can either try it again or kick the field goal, whatever. But I, I have no qualms with, with the way that play. I just, the execution of it was, was miserable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the running backs and what was going on. Obviously, I think we've beaten on Huntley enough. The, the running back snap division, Dobbins got 34 snaps, Edwards 21, Hill 10. Uh, no back on four plays. Dobbins, another terrific game of getting two level two in this game. Yeah. I know he's angry after the game about not getting an opportunity on the goal line there. Um, don't know. I mean, obviously, even having Dobbins on the field would have been kind of cool to to kind of throw another wrinkle into what was going on. But um, you know, you're giving away the play once you have the two guys up front. So if you're going to show that you're going to do that, you have to go through with it, and then you may as well be as heavy as possible. And they were. They had seven offensive linemen, which I believe was the very first time they did that this year. So they had both Falalele and, and McCary on the field for, for that play. Uh, anyway, uh, interesting use. But I thought Dobbins did have a great game, and, and I can see why he's a little bit upset about things. And hopefully um, – this is not any kind of a of a lever between him and Edwards, who are a great duo, and they should really be mm-hmm. very much respecting what each is doing. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like there's going to be some complaints from somewhere, regardless of what happens. And and you know, of course, Dobbins wants to get the ball more in the red zone. Like, and he is he has been, you know, historically good in this area. He's been a good red zone running back, and 
it's true that he didn't see one more touch after he scored um and and that that you know catch in that first half and mm-hmm. you know why he wasn't even considered to be the, the guy who gets the ball you know edwards had a few i think he had three carries probably um i think huntley had a had a keeper um or two i guess if you consider the sneak mm-hmm. as well obviously some pass plays as well so you know lots of potential opportunities to get dobbins the ball that he didn't get so i can see why there's frustration there um and you know last game it was i guess it was week 18 you know why did edwards only get three carries and this game is why did dobbins only get 12 carries or whatever maybe i think one way or the other there's always going to be some some complaint if it doesn't work you know that's that's just the way it's going to always shake down when when there's a when there's a loss um but yeah dobbins overall i thought played played really well you know edwards overall efficiency numbers weren't as good but i think that's largely because he was getting those short Short area short yardage carry especially in the red zone um when you're going against you know eight nine man man boxes that's generally not a recipe for for large chunk plays um but i thought he was pretty effective um especially you know earlier on in the second half and in the first half um so i think the running game was was definitely working to to a certain extent um so maybe they kind of got away from it at times a little bit but you know the passing game was also working fairly well in this game so i think there was a pretty good balance in this one yeah it was it was a really good balance i mean they ran the ball 35 times they threw it 31 you know one of the big things is they came back from being way down in terms of snap count to winning snap count they were down 25 to 5 in snaps the rest of the way they outsnapped the Bengals 61 to 29. So more than two to one the rest of the way after that second Bengals drive, they were down 25 to five at that point. Um, they outgained the Bengals on both per run and per pass basis. So they did that. They really, they tried a bunch of different things offensively that were, they were interesting. The seventh offensive lineman was one, um, you know, they, they, they didn't have a whole lot of passes go to wide receivers. They didn't have a whole lot of, of, of wide receivers on the field, frankly, in total. But that also matches, you know, what talent they have at this point uh, on the team. So they they played the cards they were dealt in, in terms of receiving. And um, the fact that they had to activate Victor and Isabella for the game. Isabella played three snaps. Victor played none on offense. Uh, tells you all you need to know about the quality of the receiving core and the depth they had available to them. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I, I I didn't look at special teams to see how active those two players were. Uh, maybe it was those special teams based decision because they didn't activate Pepe Williams. Um, so they also kind of lean special teams in on the secondary by having I think you know Warley and, and Seymour being the other kind of defensive backs that were active in this game. Um, so I'm not entirely sure um, why those wide receivers were maybe made active o- over. You know, someone like Kenyon Drake as a potential, you know, fourth running back. I mean, that that would have been an interesting one. Another one would have been bringing Kolar in as a fourth tight end. Mm-hmm. All, you know, both possibilities. But but Isabella played three snaps on offense, none on special teams. Mm-hmm. Victor didn't play any at all. Wow. So, so that's really a questionable decision in terms of what would that yeah. inactive list look like. Um, Kolar other, would have been the guy. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, he can definitely be a red zone target as well um, with with his size and receiving ability. So that's that's maybe a potential Check that. opportunity. I'm seeing Victor was brought up. I think he was activated to the 53 before the game. And I'll have to check that. And not just a practice squad edition. But they did mm-hmm. this the week before. He was just not active. So I'm wrong about that. So they just went with, with Isabella 
And what other wide receivers do they have active during this game? Obviously, and Crochet, Watkins, Robinson, Watkins. And, Robinson. and and Watkins, I think, was their leading wide receiver in terms of snaps in this game, which is interesting. Yes, Watkins had 47 snaps at wide receiver, and Robinson had 32. So, And, and they only had 10 other snaps at wide receiver, seven Crochet and three Isabella. So yeah. that's not a lot. Yeah, so maybe Isabella was was there to be kind of a uh you know backup punt returner in the necessity if if something were to happen to Prochet. Um also as kind of that jet motion yeah. guy on, on offense who he's been the person who's filled in for the Devin DuVernay role. Um you know one one other thing and this isn't wide receiver related but I thought it was interesting and this is more scheme but I thought they played or called more wide zone running plays in this yeah. game than I've seen um, in many games for the, for the Ravens this year. And I don't know if that's something that they saw with, with the Bengals, you know, um, defense or something that they felt like they could attack, but I thought it was interesting. Um, a little bit of a mixed bag, you know, they had some very successful runs with it and some that were not. Um, and, and that kind of came down to the blocking, you know, as it normally does in a run play. But I thought that was an interesting wrinkle that they showed in this game. Um, you know, they've, had sprinkles of it throughout the season but you know i think this game they really did it more so than in much of what they had been doing for all season long yeah I, I agree and and this team when they when they get into like pure zone concepts they never really look comfortable doing it the the they've got they've got if you look think about it records they've got some 33s and some 45s out there in terms of offensive line speed okay mm-hmm. and if you've got a linderbaum who's a who's a faster offensive lineman um, he, he can end up closing speed. If you got McCarry at left tackle, he can be a guy who gets too far out in front of the play, doesn't really maintain a good, you know, width from the last player. We've seen that uh, on on some this year. Stanley also obviously has a little more quickness than than what you normally get at left tackle. But the guards are huge, and yeah. they're a little bit slow. And it, it, with Cleveland, it's even slower. You know, with Zeitler and, and Powers are are going to have more trouble, and they're going to they're going to need to be more compensated for. And, and even though Zeitler's a professional, been around forever, still need to have more. Um, uh, what do I, what do I want to call it? Uh, synergistic factors from the other linemen to to help them maintain good zone blocking. Uh, Moses has at times looked very comfortable zone blocking. He certainly looked very good in terms of mobility this year. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that that is just consistently um has has been inconsistent he's 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 pretty good about getting his body in the way but he doesn't i don't think really use his hands as well when zone blocking which is really strange um you know and, and the classic thing is, is on his own left play he's going to have his right hand out he's going to be looking for for any opportunity to, to 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 push but the big rule is nobody crosses your face and it, it's it's just i don't see him having the same comfort it's like he's almost more comfortable using his hip to block the guy that he is using his arm and that's it's a strange combination of things yeah i mean he is very tall for, i mean he's a mm-hmm. i think he's like six seven he's, he's definitely one of the the bigger offensive linemen out there so maybe that's that's part of it it's kind of just like a reach thing um but i i think you know in in this game there was one play in particular that i remember you know linderbaum who's been who's hailed as, you know, an exceptional fit in, in, his, in his own running scheme. He just got absolutely annihilated on, on one of the plays. And I thought he did okay. He had some very nice blocks in this game, in the running game. But on, on one of the wide zone plays, he got, like, blown off the ball and it led to, like, a, a negative, big negative play. So I think, you know, he's still a little bit of a work in progress. 
I need to see some improvement for him. Um, and, and, you know, there's always going to be some limitations with with him being a little undersized. But I, th- I think he's going to be a focal point to how this running game you know, oh, goes yeah. forward. And, and he needs to be something that you kind of scheme around in terms of how you're going to utilize him because he's going to be someone who's going to unlock some of the potential, you know, big plays if this running game is going to be a consistent you know, focal point of the offense moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Run plays, screen plays, all of that. Um, but you, you got to get him on the move and and in some sense away from other linemen to take advantage of that, to, to take advantage of his in-space abilities. In, in line, um, he still is somewhat of a liability in terms of uh, just being a guy who's easier to shed or get off balance than most other linemen because of the combination of his size and length. It's just a you know is, is a limitation we'll talk about the offensive lineman in part two here a little bit i want to hit on two other things and we'll go to the uh we'll, we'll call it for this first episode and we'll, we'll be starting right up with the second episode in a minute 2.77 heavies per play second highest of the season uh closes out just an amazing season of heavy formation and what whatever you want to say about the ravens not having the wide receivers i think they really did about the best they could with not having wide receiving talent on this team. Now you can argue, Hey, this was a bad judgment to go into this year with the wide receivers. They did that Bateman. You, you, you couldn't be sure about his health period. And he alone wasn't enough anyway. And, you know, adding Demarcus Robinson wasn't enough before the season to really fill out the receiver room, even that though you have Duvernay as well. And you think maybe Prochet is going to be okay. And of course everybody ends up getting hurt. And you end up with with uh, Robinson's the only only guy who gets you through the season. Which, by the way, that you would have gotten some great odds on that bet <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really what the Ravens had to do, I think. And i I had definitely have been critical of of the the Ravens' personnel decisions because even when they were, you know, healthier at wide receiver, they, they still were using you know, a very heavy you know, rotation of, of let's call them blocking, um, skill players. Um, obviously Patrick Ricard has been, has been a huge part of that. Um, and you know, he is a good blocker. I mean, and if you're going to use a run heavy scheme, it makes sense to have a fullback, um, 70% of the plays being out there. I'm not sure if that's really necessary. I think that might be a little bit extreme, but you know, if you're going to go all in, you may as well go all in, I guess. And, and, I can't really complain about Josh Oliver as a blocker either. So like having those guys out there makes sense for what the Ravens want to do. I, I think, you know, moving forward, I would like personally to see it be more of a tight end centric running game, whether that's, you know, Andrews and Kolar or, or Andrews and likely or having more of a, a two tight end and maybe two wide receiver type approach than, than yeah, like a 12 personnel instead of like a 22 personnel, because I think 22 is probably their most common, uh, formation that's or personnel grouping that's been used over the past few weeks so um that's pretty rare in, in today's nfl yeah it's, it is very rare so that's a three heavy set and they averaged you know over 2.3 it was about 2.35 2.36 for the year 2.77 in this game their second highest uh, of the entire season so amazing season uh, say one more thing about set and chip blocks 12 set 10 chip blocks there that's on 31 plays 0.76 per play that's a high number um it's also a function of some of the extra man rushing the Bengals did so it's not that that they necessarily chose to do that but they didn't have as many free releases because running backs had to like kill had, were, were set and had to pick up people rather than go out in their in their route so uh uh you know obviously 
you know, you, you, you probably would, would like to get more people out in the route normally, but, uh, uh, you know, you got to do what the defense will let you do in, in, in those situations. And the, the Bengals rushed a lot of men. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think that's, you know, you always have to make a choice if you're going to bring, keep extra defenders in to try and you know, have more effective routes downfield and let those plays develop. Um, so, I mean, you, you can potentially have a hot route instead of, of having the kind of extra uh, blocker in there to just see if you can get, you know, quick, easy completion. Um, but maybe they don't trust, you know, Huntley to make the right read on that and having an extra blocker is a, is a better way to go in this instance. Yeah. All right, Alex, Gabe, always a pleasure talking football with you. Uh, let's just make sure people know where they can find your pod and your and your Twitter handle once before you log. Yeah, um, I'm at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. Um, pretty pretty active there d- during the season. I'll definitely be you know talking about the Ravens during the offseason, some of the you know team building aspects, contracts, situation, free agents, drafts. I, I talk about all of it. I re- really enjoy draft season, especially. Um, I'm definitely going to be you know putting my thoughts out there about, you know, what are the Ravens needs? Who are the players that they're going to be looking at? So everything like that, I'm going to be pretty heavily involved in. Um, and you mentioned the podcast earlier, uh, the Raven situation room at film study, uh, Baltimore.com. Um, definitely encourage you to give that a listen. We'll probably have some content coming out shortly about, you know, the season as a whole and, and some things to look forward to in the off season as well. All right. Outstanding. Other folks out there, normally I'd ask for film study shorts. Those are always available if you'd like to talk about something, roster building, whatever you'd like to in the offseason. But I've got a special series coming out right now that I'm going to be doing over about the next two to three months. We'll be recording these and they'll be they'll be spread out through the offseason and you know provide some additional short content for people to listen to. And that's called That One Play. And what we're, what, what I'm asking people to do is come up with one play from Ravens history that really meant something to you or meant, or you think meant something to the franchise in a specific way. We'll talk about the play itself and a little bit of the setup for it and a little bit of the aftermath from it, but it's intended to be a short content piece, 15, 20 minutes. See if, if folks will really appreciate some additional short content that is, there's actually short and not an hour <laughs> per episode, but we want to give people an opportunity to do that. Get as broad and a broad a group of participants as possible in this. So if you've never done one before, if you've kind of been a little bit intimidated by the process, send me a DM. They're always open on Twitter. Love to hear from you. And I've already got 10 of them scheduled just today when I first announced it. So it's it's a really a lot of people are taking to it. And they haven't taken all the plays that are obvious yet. They, they've, they've taken a lot of like different plays that are that are they're interesting. One of the interesting ones, Gabe, is the 1999 Rod Woodson interception against Tennessee to seal that game that began the Ravens' four-game winning streak that led into the, you know, springboarded into the 2000 season. It's a great play. It's an absolutely great play to pick. But it's the kind of thing, you know, you really appreciate having a sophisticated uh, group of listeners who have such a handle on Ravens history that you can come up with a play like that to, to, to do. But it's a fantastic choice. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to be an older Ravens fan to appreciate that one. Yeah. Yeah, and it really, really, I guess it's not just sophisticated. There's some age there, too. But, <laughs> but uh, we, we'll just call it sophistication for right now. <laughs> anyway, Gabe, really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, definitely. I uh, like being on Always Ken's Pleasure. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.